0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: It's the Built by Bama Online podcast. It is T-Watts and T-R, this week's installment. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined uh, by Tim Watts, Publisher, Senior Recruiting Analyst for us there at BamaOnline.com. First things first, Tim, did you stay up? Did you stay up on uh, Tuesday night and take in that uh, epic Game 6 of the 2019 World Series?
0: I did, you know, and I'm a Braves fan, so it's it, it doesn't, I really don't have a dog in the fight, but I've loved this World Series. It's been very unpredictable, uh, a lot of emotions. We've seen some of the best young talent in baseball with, with Bregman and, and Soto for a, The Nationals, we've seen them step up, carrying their bats to first base. A lot of flair, a lot of drama. Controversy, we've seen Justin Verlander, who looked unhittable, beaten twice in this World Series, which I never would have guessed. So, uh, just been a great – it's been a great series. There's so much talent in these lineups and so much talent pitching. It's just been really fun to watch.
1: Yeah, the controversy on the play at first base last night, unfortunately, that resulted in what felt like an intermission – You know, like it it almost made it two games or it sort of felt that way because of the time it required to sort of go through that review or something that I don't even think was reviewable. Uh, But they did it anyway. Um, But I'll tell you another guy too, Anthony Rendon uh, for the, the Nationals. You talk about a dude that's absolutely clutch. That had to be sweet for him. On Tuesday night, he's a, a guy, is a Texan, not, went to Rice University, I believe, uh, from nearby Richmond, Texas. So you're right, it's had a little bit of everything, and what it's had, as much as anything, is a home team that can't get a damn win in this World Series. I don't, I've never seen anything like that, with the visiting yeah. team taking the three games.
0: I've never thought baseball played a huge at home field advantage, yeah. except other than the comforts of being at home but in the world series it's a little bit different because there are so many people uh obviously you feel the emotions you can feel it at home you can you can see the emotions in those games and how riled up these fans are the Astros have great fans and the Nationals have, have had great fans um so yeah it's been a little bit it's been a little bit different there's been nothing predictable in this series so far um other than you know several outstanding players but nothing's been predictable as far as pitching or hitting or or or, or anything it's just been really It's been really unpredictable, but it's been great to watch. It's been great. For me, it's great for baseball because I find my kids interested in it, and I find my friends interested in it that normally wouldn't be. So, to me, that's a sign maybe the the times are changing a little bit.
1: Yeah, and you touched on it. And some of that flair we saw on Tuesday night, you had Alex Bregman taking his bat all the way to first base after his big home run in the game. And then you also saw it with Soto. I mean, these are guys – Kind of goes back to Ronald Acuna Jr. too, right? For the Braves, yeah. Ozzy yeah, Albies. That, that's what the game needs more of, you think.
0: Yeah, they got guys. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one big on showing other people up. I'll never be about that in any sport. But I am about celebrating what you've done. I feel that you hit a home run or you do something. You want to motivate your team. I've been around sports long enough to know your teammates feed off you, feed off that energy. And really, every sport has it but baseball baseball is you still see guys hit a 500 foot home run and they're doing wind sprints around the base is getting, you know, from home to home. So I think it's neat. And all these guys are young guys. Bregman's what 22, 23 years old. Uh, Soto's 21 or 22. Acuna's 19 or 20. So it's just that younger generation um, of guys. I don't consider it as much. I, I consider it. I enjoyed the gamemanship uh, more than I would people showing other people up, but I do think you ought to celebrate when you do something good.
1: Yeah, I mean, whether you like the showmanship or the antics or not, you know, the sport has a perception problem amongst younger people in that it's viewed as Pawpaw's game. You know, that, that's the way I think a lot of and, – and it doesn't move fast enough. You know, the game typically doesn't move quickly. There's a lot of time between action and young people, uh, especially in this day and age. Those damn millennials – you know, they like their action fast and furious. Baseball isn't able to provide that on a consistent basis. But if you do have a little bit more in the way of characters uh, in some of those things, perhaps uh, that'll grab the attention of the younger generation. Now, Tim, game seven, game seven on Wednesday night. Sounds like Max Scherzer is going to at least try to give it a go for the Nationals. Had to miss his schedule start. Uh, I guess it was in game five. Uh, to the uh, spasms he was dealing with, Scherzer if he can go tonight, or Zach Greinke for the Astros. Who do you give the advantage to there?
0: You know, I just you know Max is you know having issues, but that guy's such a workhorse. Everything about him screams. Yeah. Everything's about him screams. He's going to kill himself to to, uh, to you know to win that game. A healthy Max probably I give him a little bit of an advantage. Obviously Greinke's battle tested, too great. Two great pitching matchups on his own, but Max, when he's on, big game Max, he's had a lot of success. Uh, I hope he does get to pitch as a neutral party. I'd love to see the best players possible pitching in this thing. And, again, Grinkey's battle-tested, so it's really going to come down to one big inning probably, and I think that's sort of been the tale of this whole series is a sort of jab, 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 but if somebody gets a three-run inning, uh, I think that's pretty much been the deciding factor for most of these games.
1: Still hard for me to go against an Astros lineup with George Springer, Bregman, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is um, batting seventh. And yeah, I mean that's, that's a lineup, dude. That's that's, that's a, lineup. a lineup. That's a lineup. That's absolute. But guys like Rendon for the Nationals, they've been clutch. You he's
0: clutch, you know, and he doesn't get nearly the attention. I mean, Arenado was a guy for a while that was fantastic at third base and didn't get a lot of attention, and then Arenado started to get his. But now, you know, Anthony's another guy. I mean, he's consistent. He had an injury problem a few years ago. I know a lot of Braves fans are hoping they sign him this year, but guys, guys, money every year, very consistent, uh, uh, just a terrific player.
1: You know, my favorite National is Howie Kendrick, the veteran. Long time, I think, uh, Los Angeles Angel. And he is because he's from West Nassau High School, which is in Callahan, Florida, neighboring there to the uh, old hometown there of Jacksonville, Florida. So big Howie Kendrick fan, West Nassau High School. Stand up down there in the sort of rural area of northeast Florida. Hey, Tim, you know, it's the bye week for Alabama, the second of two bye weeks for the Alabama football team. I guess what I wanted to ask you first here and I think we talked about this coming off the first bye week. What does it mean? What does this week mean for the Alabama coaching staff in terms of an itinerary from a recruiting standpoint? Is it all that different than a regular game week or will they be a little more uh, present, I guess, out on the recruiting trail this uh, week?
0: It'll be different for sure. I know Monday some of the uh, coaches were giving speeches at some of the alumni groups to Red Elf and clubs, um, I know a few of them were on the road doing that, and it could have been even more. We didn't really track them all down, but so they had Monday to give those and see the boosters and the and the fans and stuff. And they, they'll definitely be out more this week than they would if LSU was Saturday. They wouldn't. They would. They will have a little bit looser rain. They'll be out visiting people, uh, checking in on schools. They're obviously able to work the phones a lot more than they are. But I have no doubt LSU is the number one priority here. They know that's the the biggest recruiting tool of the season is trying to beat LSU. So that's still going to be the priority. They'll do more recruiting. They won't do as much recruiting as a lot of teams will do, Um, but they definitely do more than they usually do in a regular week.
1: And I kind of tie that in, Tim, because one of our exercises today on the T Watts and TR podcast here on Built by Bama online podcast, uh, I wanted to go through, The Louisiana recruits that have made their way to Tuscaloosa under Nick Saban, kind of a roster. I mean, we could break this down into sort of an all Saban Louisiana recruits team. But what what we'll do is I'm going to go back to 2007, and we're going to work our way right on up through the most recent recruiting cycle, 2019. And I want you to jump in. I'm going to throw names at you. I'm going to offer some... Thoughts on contributions made by some of these guys, and we'll just work our way through really the last 12, 13 years of Nick Saban recruiting at Alabama in the state of Louisiana. And we'll start in 2007, Tim, with Luther Davis, who we both recall at the time, uh, that was seismic when Alabama was able to flip Luther Davis, the defensive lineman from West Monroe, from the Tigers to UA.
0: Yeah, you know, and at the time, that's when the L- state of Louisiana was really locked down. Um, you didn't see a lot of kids leaving that state very rarely. I mean, there was a ton of pressure at the time on anybody trying to leave. I remember when Saban first got to Alabama, he uh, he, he was recruiting Joe Knight, who ended up at USC. He did leave the state of Louisiana, but Joe Knight, I spoke to, I spoke to Joe McKnight. I spoke to him one time right when Saban arrived, and he t- told me he was visiting Alabama, but the pressure... The minute Saban had been hired was immense, not to go to Alabama, and we probably had an eight-minute conversation. It's the only interview I know he ever did um, that I'm aware of, and he said the minute that happened, it wasn't go to LSU, it was don't go to Alabama. So the pressure there at that time, Luther fought that. Luther sort of enjoyed it. You remember he sort of he sort of relished it. You know, I yeah. think you know, I think he celebrated getting that hate. He fed off that hate. So it was definitely a big flip at the time
1: yeah luther davis and man you bring up a name from the past and and joe mcknight and what a tragic story uh nearly three years ago joe mcknight as we know uh killed in a road rage accident there i believe in the new orleans area uh, december 1st 2016 but davis definitely was a character and he was a solid contributor uh a, a nice piece to that 2009 national championship team and that defense uh You know, so Luther Davis sort of got that thing going, I guess you could say, uh, with Nick Saban having some success. And and you're right. At the time, it was pretty well locked down and it took a couple of three cycles, really. 2009 and 2008, you had Robbie Green uh, from John Curtis High School talking about, uh, I guess, Joe McKnight. Right. That was, I believe, where. Joe McKnight came from in New Orleans there. Uh, You landed Robbie Green in 2008, kind of a tumultuous career for Robbie Green at Alabama. Guy with a lot of potential, uh, suspended multiple times before moving on. But then in 2009, Tim, you really start to see this program make hay over there in Louisiana. Eddie Lacey, kind of the other running back, right, in that class for Alabama because Trent Richardson was a part of that group. Yeah, Darrington Cinnamore, a defensive lineman and a guy that I know, uh, you thought. And, and it it shows in in the history of of recruiting annals that Kenny Bell, wide receiver from Rayville, Louisiana, had a big role in that class.
0: Yeah, that was huge. Kenny was a big deal because I don't know, you know, recruiting fans will remember this, but Alabama was ranked number two heading into National Signing Day that year. And back then, National Signing Day was different. It was everybody in February. So Kenny had stayed quiet. He flipped. LSU was number one. Alabama was number two, and Kenny flipped, which flipped the rankings. Uh, points-wise, so Alabama ended up with the number one class. Eddie Lacy, that was an unbelievable you know, follow. Alabama had Trent Richardson committed, and um, you had uh, Lance Thompson, who's recruiting both of those guys, basically. Lance flips himself and ends up over at Tennessee, and then Lance is recruiting Eddie for Tennessee, so a lot of drama there at the end, and and, uh, you know, a, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of pressure on Eddie telling him, you know, Eddie didn't, you know, was being told he wasn't the guy at Alabama and Trent was the guy, which is ironic because it was Lance telling him that Trent was the guy. <laughs> um, so, you know, Lance was definitely, you know, definitely is, you know, that definitely is an experienced recruiter. So, but Eddie was sort of forgotten man, but I think anybody that watched Eddie. And we had him ranked in the top 125 prospects in the nation. He was a force. If you watch this guy, he was fantastic, but everybody got so lost in that Trent Richardson love and Trent deserved it. He was a unbelievable high school recruit. People forget now that the guy was fantastic in college. He was a number two pick started out pretty good in the NFL. They forget how good Trent Richardson was because of, because his career was so short, but he was outstanding. He was Leonard Fournay of his time. Actually.
1: Yeah. Eddie Lacy. um, you know, actually redshirted in 2009. And that's how deep that was the situation Alabama had with Mark Ingram and, uh, and Trent Richardson in 2009. But Eddie was a part of that stable in 2010 with Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, and you had Eddie Lacey as your top three backs. And oddly enough, that was one of the years to this point under Nick Saban where Alabama struggled to run the football the most. 2010 was a year mostly about Greg McElroy, Julio Jones in the passing game. Now, you had some injuries in 2010. I think all three of those backs, in some form or fashion, that season were dinged up to some degree. I know Mark had an E issue early in that season. Eddie Lacy, I believe, had an ankle foot type situation. Uh, so they were never able together to really get that thing rolling. Uh, but interesting, some guys there with Eddie Lacey and certainly Kenny Bell and the impact he had on the recruiting rankings for that 2009 class um 2010 you had cody mandel a punter who was actually a walk-on uh when he came to alabama from lafayette 2011 bradley Silve, uh, i guess rated or uh, thought to be more of a wide receiver coming out of port sulfur uh, ended up being a corner at alabama and then you get to 2012 tim and you've got the most memorable commitment for sure uh, I think uh, of these Louisiana guys, perhaps of any guy that Nick Saban has signed period during his time at Alabama, Landon Collins at that, uh, that was the Under Armour game, wasn't it? Where all that went down with yeah, Landon? Yeah, yeah, well,
0: uh, you know, I always liked Landon um, to me. He's to me, I was looking over this list. He's probably my favorite who I thought was the best prospect Alabama signed from Louisiana. That's certainly debatable. I loved everything he brought to the table athletically. I always thought he could have been a great college running back. He was just such a, such a tremendous athlete, but yeah, he, you know, he commits on national TV. The mom's obviously upset. Now going back and hearing that story, it was a little bit less about Alabama and a little bit more about the situation where Landon's mom, um, who's a very opinionated lady. She's very funny. You know, I've, I've, I've seen her on social media. She's uh she's quite the character. She was, a uh, uh, There's there. Apparently they were upset that the girlfriend was going to be on the stage with Landon as well. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, and there was a this is all stuff told to me behind the scenes. I wasn't at the game. But afterwards, we found that out. Obviously, the mom. I don't think the mom had near the problem with Alabama as she portrayed it to be. She also did that with Landon's older brother, Gerald Willis who ended up in Miami, sort of that she wanted him to stay in state. But, you know, both of those guys ended up out of state. But, yeah, that moment, I mean, that'll go down, you know, in history is one of the oddest, oddest commitment moments um, anyone's seen.
1: You also had Denzel Duvall, an outside linebacker from Bastrop, Louisiana, in that 2012 class. And Duvall, just kind of one of those understated, significant contributors. He was a stout edge setter first and foremost against the run, uh, had some really solid performances against Home State LSU from that perspective. Not so much the prototypical pass rusher that you'll see in a Nick Saban defense, but again, just sort of like sort of like Anthony Jennings now. Yeah, you know, Anthony a blue, Jennings. Yeah.
0: A glue guy, a program yeah. guy. You know, pe- people hear that term program guy and they always They always try to make it a negative. It's not a negative. This guy came in, contributed where he needed to, stayed out of trouble, worked hard, played on some great teams. Um, You know, never was the standout that someone like Adila Moses was or never had that kind of potential, but certainly was a really good player for Alabama.
1: Yeah, and this is a stretch from 2012 through 2014 where you really started to pick up some dudes because Landon Collins, Denzel Duvall – 2013, you signed Raheem Falcons out of New Orleans, a wide receiver who early on in his career at about 6'5 and 200 pounds. He was one of those early enrollees, one of those first early enrollees, really, in the Nick Saban era at Alabama that in his first spring game, he did some things that made you think, wow, this is going to be a guy that is a top three receiver in this rotation. Never really played out that way, but his classmate that year certainly was an impactful player. Tim and Tim Williams uh, coming out of Baton Rouge took a couple of years for Tim Williams. That's where he's sort of the model that that Alabama fans need to keep in mind when they sort of get a little impatient with some of these guys after a year or two, because it really wasn't until Tim Williams junior season at Alabama that uh, he kind of took off there.
0: Yeah. And Tim was interesting because he was, you know, he's at Baton Rouge at university lab in Baton Rouge, right on the LSU campus. I mean, he can walk, He could have walked over to that campus and seen the LSU staff every day within 10 minutes or so. So that was definitely a big deal. LSU didn't push as hard, and then later at the end, they might have pushed a little bit harder. It was kind of a weird situation. Nobody knew what he was going to be. Alabama loved him. Thought he could be an outside linebacker, edge rusher. He, He did a lot physically. Uh, in the weight room to change himself from what he came in as to what he would end up being, which is a a rush in and just had one of the best, you know, that, that, that junior season, I think it was, was just one of the best in Alabama history. He was just fantastic.
1: Yeah, he was, he was a guy that you're right. When you looked at him his first couple of years, you saw just pretty much a kind of one trick pony. He had that explosive first step and that speed rush ability. But with that time in the weight room under Scott Cochran, he eventually became capable of turning speed into power. In other words, he created some counters to go along with that speed rush off the edge, and that's when he absolutely took his game to another level. We're going to continue through this Louisiana roster of Nick Saban players at the University of Alabama with T. Watts and T. R. right after this. So, Tim, we get into 2014, and, gosh, Landon Collins, Cam Robinson. We're going to talk about Dylan Moses coming up a little bit later on. Eddie Lacy we've talked about. But in terms of status as a recruit, uh, Cam Robinson and Landon Collins, are those the two biggest guys? Cam Robinson a part of that 2014 class out of West Monroe.
0: Yeah, I think you have to throw Dylan Moses in there, obviously. A kid that gets offers in eighth grade and committed to LSU and all that. But it was a little bit easier for Dylan because he ended up at IMG. But as far as big-name guys, Cam, that was a heated battle. Um, You know, Cam gave off that Alabama vibe early in the process. You know, right out of the gate, he gave off that he wanted to go to Alabama. He wanted to get away from home. So I felt that Alabama, for most of the process, at least once the recruiting cycle got serious, I felt that that's where he wanted to, that's where he wanted to commit, you know, another guy that stood up to a lot of pressure, you know, you know, his coaches and the people around him would tell me that he was definitely a sought after. I mean, I think most people, he's a five-star offensive tackle, a left tackle seen as a guy that could come in. He certainly had to fight, uh, you know, a lot off, but he's, he's definitely, you know, Landon was a little bit quieter than cam. Cam was a big deal. You know, cam was a big deal. Yeah. LSU Landon woke him up like, Oh crap. Alabama's getting, you know, pretty elite guy here.
1: Cam was a guy they were like, hey, we're going to fight for this guy, and it was it was a pretty good battle there for a while. 2014 was a good year for the Alabama recruiting staff in that stretch of sort of Shreveport to Monroe because you had Cam Robinson from West Monroe, you had Hootie Jones from Monroe, Louisiana, right across the river. Cam Sims, remember, wide receiver in that class, uh, eventual starter type. And O.J. Smith from Bozier City in the Shreveport area uh, came in as well. Smith eventually transferred out to the University of Minnesota. 2015, Daylon Charlotte comes in as a wide receiver from Patterson. Louisiana played in five games as a true freshman, caught two passes for nine yards, but then quickly moved on uh, to the University of Kansas 2016 with Shaheem Carter a defensive back from Kentwood, Louisiana. Of course, you know right now, Shaheem Carter, a big part of this 2019 Alabama defense. And Carter, one of those guys, a lot of these guys, as we know, you talked about Lane and Collins' potential as a running back. Shaheem Carter had that sort of ability on the offensive side of the ball, as I recall, in high school, Tim.
0: Yeah, he was a playmaker. He has good ball skills. Uh, it, you know, He's got that size that people. Some want to put him in the slot, depending on where he goes. Some want to put him in that nickel or the cornerback position so he's a versatile guy highly recruited uh top 100 player you know and 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 he sort of gets lost in the shuffle now but he's got big responsibilities and he does big things when the Alabama defense is successful he usually has a huge part in it
1: 2017 uh, five guys Devontae Smith starter Fadarian Mathis uh is a top reserve on that defensive line Christopher Allen probably Alabama's number three overall outside linebacker right now. Joseph Fulibus currently handling the place-kicking chores and the aforementioned Dylan Moses, although, as you pointed out, finished up his high school career down at IMG in Braden in Florida, uh, originally from Baton Rouge. That's pretty good quintet uh, of players for that 2017 class. In terms of a hit, a hit ratio uh, in terms of guys that have made an impact from that group.
0: Yeah, I think they did a good job, the Alabama staff, capitalizing on sort of LSU's influx uh, uh, recruiting situation, sort of figuring out, getting their feet on the ground. There was a lot of uncertainty. Obviously, that's changed now with Ed Orgeron doing a good job and having them, you know, number one team in the country, top five uh, the last few weeks. So Alabama did a good job capitalizing there. Like I said, Dylan Moses was that kid getting eighth grade offers when everybody was, you know, calling people crazy. Alabama offered him, LSU offered him early on, committed to LSU and seemed LSU, and probably would have ended up uh, at LSU had they had the same success as they were having at Alabama. But he wanted, you know, talking to, to talking to Dylan and to the people around him, they wanted a big stage at the time. They wanted a chance to play for national championships. They wanted a chance to play in the National Football League. So he was a huge get. Um, and I know Ellis you took that one personally.
1: Yeah, and you're right. That was a time of transition, and going from Les Miles and Ed Orgeron sort of in that interim status uh, f- for a good bit, I guess, of that 2016 season before na- being named the permanent replacement. And absolutely, I'd say Alabama capitalized, just signed a guy in that class and Devontae Smith, who is a true freshman we know, catches the game-winning touchdown pass in the 2018 college football playoff uh, national championship game. 2018, Eddie Smith, a defensive back from Slidell, currently working at safety at Alabama in a backup role. And Slade Bolden. Slade Bolden, uh, not going to say that this guy's been a massive surprise, but in terms of second-year guys, at least from a situational standpoint, Slade Bolden from West Monroe, Louisiana, uh He's been a big factor for this Alabama team in two thousand and nineteen, both in that wildcat role tim uh but he's a hellacious special teams guy as well, yeah,
0: I think people saw him that way. you know he's one of those guys that a lot of staffs liked him um I'm not sure how many prioritized him, you know, I think you know several several of the schools in his area uh looked at him pretty hard. Alabama liked him, he's a little bit versatile um obviously he's versatile could play offense, could play defense. Another high character guy, and you see a lot of lists, you know, a lot of these guys, Alabama signs are guys that are going to be workhorses and, you know, similar to a landing college. Those guys that are going to come in, they buy into the system. Slade's that kind of guy that's going to buy into the work hard, stay late, study film. So they really like that about him. And and of course, you know, of course, he's already making plays. I mean, you're looking at he's a smart guy. Uh, You know, he's pretty much what we thought he was going to be. Now, I still think his role could develop a little bit bigger. In the next two years, I think we can see a little bit more of him. Um, but obviously, he's a nice little weapon to have, sort of yeah, like a good athlete. Chance. Yeah, he's sort of like you know. I don't want to you know. I'm not great. I don't like these comparisons everybody does. But he's sort of like that. Taysen Hill role the Saints try to work him in there, um, where he's capable of lining up. He's able, capable of throwing the ball out of the Wildcat, running the ball out of the Wildcat, or catching the ball. So he's
1: got some versatility to him. He's like a mini Tim Tebow in some ways. I call him Slade Tebolden because uh they use them in that sort of wildcat role and we saw sort of a tebow move um yeah. it's a, it's you know, a, with the touchdown pass here recently yeah. yeah down on the goal line uh slate t um 2019 ishmael soft looks like the big man probably headed for a redshirt. never say never uh you still got a november of the regular season to go um you know, a guy that when I look at him out on the practice field, Tim, you see all the physical attributes that made him the highly rated recruit that he was in the class of 2019. But as is typically the case for a lot of these guys, takes a little time uh, for defensive linemen, offensive linemen. A guy yeah. that not taken a lot of time is for Christian Harris. Those two guys, Tim, in the 2019 group.
0: Well, with Ish, you know, the thing that you you sort of knew, big guy coming in, from high school they always have that adjustment period and him not being a December uh, graduate a January enrollee I think that hurt him because he's not really in the, he's not really conditioned to play he's not used to a college weight room and he's strong don't get me wrong he's strong but he's more high he was more high school strong at the time than college strong when he got to Alabama you know that took a dip and he had to catch back up to get on the field so I think most were expecting him to red shirt Christian Harris to me is a shocker because the guy, I wasn't even sure what position he was going to be. I knew that some point he was going to work at at linebacker. I thought he'd grow into that. I did not know it would be immediately. Obviously, there was a need that he had to step up in. I mean, the knock on him was he played defensive back in high school. and you know, this is another kid right off the off the off the lSU campus at University Lab. So this is a guy that that we weren't sure we thought might need a red shirt to get a little bit bigger, a little bit more physical. But this guy stepped in and I think he gets better game to game. Still gotta you know still gotta still gotta get that experience where he gets isolated on those running backs or those guys dragging across the field. He gets lost sometimes, but definitely showing a lot of promise as a you know, a kid that a year ago was was, you know, was trying to, you know, trying to um, get a date after the high school football game.
1: Yeah. And you said it, uh, some injuries and and some situations that have forced Christian Harris into action as a true freshman. I think he's responded about as well as you could hope,
0: uh, both he and Shane Lee. No, I agree. Absolutely. He's did a fantastic
1: job. Well, uh, Tim, let's shift gears a little bit. It's the T. Watts and T. Ryer version of the Built by Bama online podcast. Uh, Tim, it is the Eve Of Halloween as we record this and a couple things that come to mind uh, a couple topics that we'll hit on here before we get out of here uh, on this Wednesday Uh, we kind of thrown it out there on the round table as well best horror movies of all time sort of a not you know what do you got for us you know I had one in mind but then some of the the gang on the round table and the thread for the show, it kind of changed my mind. They it, it kind of made me rethink that a little bit. What what do you got as your top one or two, Tim?
0: You know, I think you look at I think if you look at horror movies, you almost got to break them up into you know generational features. I'm an old school kind of guy. I love Psycho. I love you know I love Psycho. I love The Exorcist. I love Halloween. I love that old feel of the horror movies that were maybe made even more scary because there was. Uh, they were shot on such a string, uh, shoestring budget. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that is incredibly – that is shot like some serial killer was filming it you know, on some some old uh, uh, video camera. So I love those. I see the new generation. Me and you grew up with the, the Friday the 13th, um, some of those movies which were basically a don't have sex in the woods educational <laughs> film from our parents. Everybody that went in the woods and hooked up died with a spear <laughs> to their chest. I'm almost sure my mother d- directed and wrote every one of those horror movies. Yeah. And then there's the new ones with Paranormal Activity and the, you know, those, those the, the genres that have come, the genres that have come up now. So for me, the number one overall favorite. I don't know if I could give a number one overall favorite. Psycho's always going to be tough to beat for me. I love the Paranormal Activity movies, the newer ones, and all the old school ones. The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby. I mean, those are some great ones too.
1: Yeah, you know, you're right. For our generation, it was almost like the flicks, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, yeah. stuff like that. It was almost like footloose, except everybody dies. It's kind
0: of what everybody, it, every, it yes, was. that's right. There was no prom. It, after the, yeah, it'd be footloose, but everybody died at the after party.
1: Yeah, and you tried, know,
0: tried to hook up and drinking.
1: And... Boo AU on the round table, he shouted out the exorcist, absolutely, mm-hmm. and the shiny. I mean, You know, The Shining.
0: Yeah, I'm a Stephen King fan. In fact, they're shooting part two of The Shining. Now, the thing about The Shining is, it's so hard to translate a Stephen King book to a movie. So the Jack Nicholson book really isn't a lot. I mean, the movie isn't a lot like the book, but the book standalone is great. I think they redid that for some uh, uh, a two or three part series they did for another Uh station too. That wasn't a bad version, but yeah, The Shining. I mean, that was some creepy. That was some creepy stuff. Those little girls, the blood, red rum, the mirror, riding around in that hotel. Uh, that A. Yeah, red rum, red rum. You know, that little creepy kid. I don't know where he's at, but um, I hope he's nowhere near Alabaster, Alabama. So um, definitely Kubrick directed it. You know, that's a fantastic one. Of the Exorcist was just at the next level of. Uh, they just did some stuff I'm not even sure you can do now in that <laughs> film. So, you know, I'm almost you, positive. You definitely that's not...
1: can't do a 360 with your head. No. You know, and spin can't. it all the way around. I'm pretty no. sure about that.
0: I yeah. love them all. I'm not big on the gore. If they're just, they're just you know, if they're just cutting them up, to cut them up. I'm not big on that. I've got the news for that. So um, I actually like things that go bump in the night. It might scare me a little bit.
1: You know, that was the great thing about The Shining. It really wasn't dependent upon that. I mean, not at it all. Was, it was... Uh, it was basically more, it was almost like the Joker of its time. It was more of a, uh, a, you know, uh, a, a, it was, a, d- it it was, was about your... mental illness. It was, what it was, was about, it was in you here. I mean, yeah. I yeah. mean,
0: we didn't realize that then, but the minute you saw, uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy type for like 6,000 pages. Uh, you knew stuff was getting bad. That lady, I mean, the thing about it is the casting was great. That lady was creepy. You know, she's been in a Disney movie. She scared me. So you got Jack Nicholson with his big eyes, drunk, and he, you know, he's such a good actor. The kid was creepy. The setting was creepy. That's an actual, that's an actual hotel in Colorado, by the way.
1: Yeah, Uh, I was there this summer. Oh, really? I I went, I went to the Stanley this summer and I did the Shining tour. As a matter it, of this fact, is, this
0: is the moment you realize you, you're not as good a friend to me as I think you are. <laughs> Cause I've never saw a photo of that. Of course you didn't. Oh, know I've i got it. You didn't let know. I love Stephen King. So I'll cut you a break, but that is outstanding. That would be a fantastic trip.
1: It was, uh, did the tour there at the Stanley hotel. And, uh, they take you to the room, the room where Stephen King in a pretty depressed, drunken state himself at the time which makes you understand that he was basically channeling jack torrance the character of jack nicholson in the movie at the time um you you learn a lot about how that came to be and and sort of you know where he was at at the time when he wrote the book uh largely there at the stanley hotel or at least outlined what was going to become the book and as part of the tour tim they take you to this it's like this uh step up into an attic and when you look up into the top of the attic there is red rum in the attic That's So, uh, yeah Even, you, would, you would you would you need to do that man because you
0: would dig is, it have you seen the preview it just i just saw it for the first time yesterday one of my friends told me there is a part two coming out as danny torrance as an adult wow and it stars i can't wow. remember his name but it stars uh
1: why is
0: that guy's name? I'll figure his name out here in a minute. But kid
1: wore out that tricycle, man.
0: I mean, he was – yes, yes, that kid could uh, – um, that kid could fly. Can you imagine being a kid and having that much room to roam? Oof. You know, that, you know, much, room, that much, much room just to ride around.
1: And that's sort of the backstory to what the situation was when Stephen King went to the Stanley Hotel. It was the end of the season, you know, and they were basically closing for the winter. And that's sort of the situation he and I think it was his wife uh, and, and family walked into the, the The Stanley was pretty much empty just like it is in the the book. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the guy pretty much just channeled himself. Uh, well, they had and, and guys, even like, even
0: like, even like scat that was Brothers. in. Yeah. yeah. He, he was in that thing and he played such a good role. Um, And by it's you and McGregor that starring in this uh, new Stephen King, uh, I guess it's a part two. It's called Dr. Sleep. The preview looked great. Um, So I think it's going to be Danny Torrance. I haven't watched a lot of the previews because I don't really want to run the movie. You know, the previews give the whole thing away if you watch them too often. But uh, it's going to be Danny as an adult, so I'm pretty excited about that. But, yeah, I mean, those old movies, like you know, those old movies were cheap. They they always had a message, you know, don't go in the woods, which I still don't. You know, don't hook up in the woods, which I still don't. You know, I I got the messages from – Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, or anybody that went, you know, I've never hitchhiked, for instance, message learned. Um, <laughs> you know, I've never eaten at a roadside barbecue joint with somebody's name behind it, Freddie's barbecue out in the middle of nowhere. I knew all those were warning signs.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll still stop at Jim's high, on Highway 82, though. If uh, I still stop there.
0: If I know Jim, but I'm not stopping at Jim's in Wyoming on a road trip <laughs> out West. Cause I don't know that gym and I don't know where that meat came from.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Nicholson though, man, Jack Nicholson can be in a rom-com and it had the feel of a horror movie with the way that dude, you know, does his thing. So, uh, yeah, he, he can, yeah. he can take yeah. anything to that level from an intensity standpoint. It's hard to, to beat, uh, Jack. When yeah. He comes to just Not any role. That's true. Any role. Hey, um, so it is Halloween coming up, and I wanted to ask you here as we wrap up on the T. Watts and T.R. podcast. Last time you costumed up for Halloween, Tim Watts, when was it? Who were you? My wife gave me four
0: kids and has dealt with me for 20 years. So I give her more than I give anybody else. And two of those things is I will wear long pants at certain restaurants for her. And I will dress up with her when she asked me to for Halloween. So uh-huh. she had me dress up as a dragon to her Daenerys from the Games oh. of Thrones. I think it was two years ago, yeah. uh, maybe three years ago. I was walking around while I was a dragon whipped. And she was my <laughs> uh, she was let let's taking her claim on who the boss was for sure. How about you?
1: I I think, you know, I think you started it with my wife. I think for just about every adult male, you know, that, that is that dresses up or costumes up for a Halloween get together or whatever it may be, that's what it always goes back to. That's one of those things that women in our lives can get us to do into middle age. Well into middle age and beyond. You know, I've got some neighbors here in Tuscaloosa. Every year they go as Gene Simmons and Ace Freely. And they absolutely knock it out of the park. And I'm I'm briefly jealous of them because they look so damn good in their get-ups. But I'm just not a big costume person at this point in my life. I don't know if there's there's kind of a federal mandate on an age in which you're supposed to outgrow that for yeah. Halloween. And, and I'm all good. Hey, if you like to do that, good for you. If you go to yeah, parties, all that, good for you.
0: I think it's personality. You know, my wife would yeah. host a party every now and then where we required – everyone to dress up. And um, so, and and, you know, look, I've got friends. I got a couple of friends who say, their wife makes them dress up, but that's a really good outfit. You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, like, and they're that's a front. They like it. Yeah, they he, like doing it. You like know, like on
0: Halloween, you can look at me and be like, "All right, Heather made Tim do that. She pulled the oh, I gave you four kids card." Um, but my <laughs> other friends are like loving it, wearing all this makeup, and I'm like, I don't know. Hey, if you let can-
1: it fly, man. Let uh, yeah. it fly. And I'm dude. okay
0: with that. I think it's just personality. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. it comes to the personality. It's not as taboo for me for a grown man to be dressed up as Halloween as it is for, you know, to um um is as, it
1: worse to dress up for Halloween for a grown man or a jersey up? Which is which are which are the two that you frown I'm not, upon. I'm most?
0: not I don't know. I'm not a jersey guy. Again, I think I think there's a I think as an older man, sixties and up, I think you're okay in a jersey. And I think as a younger guy.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't know at my age, you know, heading into fifty if I'd be comfortable wearing a jersey. I don't really look like a player so it's it's uncommon. I don't think
1: <laughs> you don't look like Drew Brees in that number I mean, nine. I mean, I I just
0: 63. think security at at Bryant Denny's going to grab me and pull me to the side if I try to go in that in that locker room. So, um, uh, you know, again, I think it depends. I don't see you know in the NFL. I don't see as many college in the in, at an NFL game at the Saints game. It is a lot. Of, there's a lot of grown ups wearing jerseys. Of oh course, yeah, that's an it, NFL thing. It, big. Time. It's, it's New Orleans, and we're Saints people. So, but I will say, there's also. A lot of people dressed up almost for Halloween at a Saints game when it's you know it's September or December. So Saints, Saints are a little bit different. But we visited other places where the jerseys are wore. I think they're both okay. You know, I don't have a I don't have a huge problem with it. I don't wear either of them unless unless my wife asked me to. Um, but I don't have a problem, huge problem with either of them really.
1: Yeah, I've probably softened on those in my my advanced years here now. Yeah, but, um, years ago, I was definitely against.
0: I, w- I would have had a strong "Don't wear a jersey." And then as I got older, it's like eh, that dude has got bigger crap to worry about whether or not he's wearing a jersey. <laughs> you know, he's got. You no, know, the
1: biggest, the the biggest jersey crowds are the NFL folks There's- and big in Big Ten in college. That, that's the you, jersey folks. I'll tell the Penn you, Penn State crowd that came here in 2010, they were all they were <laughs> all jerseyed up, man. I'll tell you, the State. biggest
0: the biggest Jersey crowd I've ever seen by far was uh, my buddy Andy Johnson, who used to work for 24-7, was the CFO, talked me in going to a Nashville Predators game. I've never been to hockey. Oh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know anything about hockey. <clears throat> I don't know sweater. any of the rules. Hockey I don't sweater. know. sweater. They, everybody, now, when they walked in, I was sort of like, why is everybody wearing those? When I sat down, it was chilly. So I sort of got it, but everybody was in a Nashville Predators. Uh, jersey sweater whatever that is yeah. everybody was wearing those things so i mean it was like lined up wall to wall with people wearing them
1: so. last time i costumed up was probably five or six years ago similar to you wife had a Halloween party lined up for us it was 80s themed she kind of went as a valley girl big hair you know all that madonna type hybrid look and uh, i went as king ad rock the Beastie Boys. (laughs) Nice. So there you go. I had the New York Mets cap, you know, and she made me, she made me this oversized medallion of a Volkswagen um, hood ornament, you know, (laughs) with a chain. So that was, that was your boy. I think
0: think that's all right because as an adult, we don't have a lot of holidays to relax and have fun. There's always responsibility. Thanksgiving, Christmas, even Valentine's Day, there's responsibilities. Halloween's the one time we can buy these kids a costume. Give them a empty bucket, you know, an empty paint can, and send their butt through the neighborhood, and we can go with them and have fun. So if an adult wants to cut loose, you know, I was laughing, like, nobody checks, nobody checks my kids' uh, Halloween candy. My mom used yeah. to comb through mine. She'd take it to the airport and run it through the x-ray machine. <laughs> You know, I mean,
1: yeah, but back. some of that, you know, my folks did that too, Tim. Some of that was they were just cherry picking the stuff they wanted out of my bag. That's
0: what I, I kept saying, "How are all the apples? Yeah. Safe? How They'd are the?" they say apples- it was
1: about safety, but they were just getting the good stuff out of there, man. How
0: are the apples safe, Mom? That looks exactly where they put the needles in the razor blades. Yeah. Not that Reese's cup you got.
1: Yeah, seemed like I always ended up with pencils, you know, and and apples and fruit, and then my folks would have the Snickers and the. Reese's peanut butter cups uh it seemed worse. like anyway
0: what was worse than somebody just throwing two cookies in the ziploc bag and tossing it in there <laughs> lady my mom now, not let me eat that
1: you know, i was I a pill, i was a pillowcase pit kid oh, i was yeah. pillowcase uh you know that bucket and all that crap you could keep i'd get the biggest pillowcase in casa de ryer my man load that baby up maybe twice
0: you know yeah well you We'd know be they knocking
1: on doors till 11 o'clock at night well, yeah.
0: for my kids now, they can go to one area at a local church or local uh, parking lot, and they can rack up sixty hit sixty spots.
1: Yeah, they can fill we a basket We they got kids. A, we it seems like they paratroop into our neighborhood here in Tuscaloosa now. Literally, like the Rangers coming down from the sky now. You know, but we must have a really of, good neighborhood for trick or treat. Yeah, they right, come right, in right. by the bus loads. Yeah, that's that.
0: That yeah. does mean you have a good one.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere, and we love it. You know, love it. You got to watch out. Everybody's got all these different forms of transportation now. You got golf carts, bikes, everything now. I mean, you know, it's like yeah. it's like Bangladesh or something. It's, it you know? is
0: not the time it's to like. Halloween.
1: To, you don't want to have to run to the store to get Taco yeah. Bell sauce. I know that. Like trying to get through the streets of New Delhi, you know, on Halloween night or something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim, it's been fun, man. It's yeah, been a loved good one. It. I've enjoyed it, and. uh we look forward to doing it again next week because we got a we got a big football game to talk about got a big with one. LSU and Alabama. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun game. I'm I'm, I'm sort of enjoying. It. I hate this college weekend it doesn't seem very very strong game wise because I would have no. liked to just sat back and watched a few. Um, but yeah, the lead into this game is going to be insane. But we knew that we knew that started the we knew that a couple weeks into the season after the Texas win that LSU had a pretty good chance of being undefeated right here. We knew Alabama had a pretty good chance of being undefeated right here. So it's not a huge surprise. Um uh and then again, you know, this is gonna be this is gonna be a fantastic game in my opinion.
1: You know, and uh pretty big game for Kirby Smart, though, on Saturday against those Georgia yeah. gators.
0: It's huge. I mean, the you know, the the ebbs and flows, I mean, Georgia fan base is by far one of the most passionate that uh, I've that I've seen. I mean, they it's been a while since they won a the national championship. They the, it's they've consistently been a nine or 10 win season team. It seems like forever yeah. without winning that big that big championship. So it's a huge game for him. Obviously, um, it's going to affect, you know, what happens if Georgia loses because they've got some guys that could want to shut it down for the NFL who might want to sit out and protect their best interest. You know, we're getting We're getting into that stage of the season. Where there's it's a business that, decision. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we saw guys skipping bowl games, and we saw Bosa, you know, get injured and not come back last year. So that could be – head. we could be heading into that. But, yeah, obviously – and that's always – that's pretty much always a big game. I don't know what to make of it. I saw the point spread started at six. It went to three, and it was back at six last night. So there's a lot of movement on that game right now. I don't know what to make of it.
1: Well, we'll have a lot of movement next week when we do the T. Watts and TR podcast, once again, a part of the Built by Bama online podcast. We certainly hope you subscribe to the Built by Bama online podcast. If you haven't, we would love for you to do so. Leave us a review while you're there, if you don't mind. Hey, Tim, good stuff, man. We'll do it again next week.
0: All right, brother. See you on the roundtable.
1: For Tim Watts, Travis Schreier, the BamaOnline.com staff, thanking you for joining us, as Tim said. Stick with us right there at BamaOnline.com, the BamaOnline.com roundtable. It's where you're going to find all the latest news and items of interest as they relate to the Alabama Crimson Tide. So long, everybody.